Hello, and welcome to Cool Story Guys. I'm Jeff. I'm Ethan. And we've been doing this for a couple months now, Ethan. We have. We're, it's, it's going pretty good, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's time to start thinking about the bigger picture. Oh, God. Are we going to turn this story into a movie or a TV series? <laughs> what's, your, what's your proclivity here? Oh, boy. You know, I think it kind of depends on how much, many more chapters we, we end up doing. That's one thing we haven't discussed yet. I would say... Uh, the, book, the, the book is done. I mean, we killed everyone. This is yeah, it's, only four, it's only four chapters long. <laughs> Just a really sad TV that was, series. That was the end of the book, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my understanding of this, at least. Yeah. I think it makes for probably makes for a better movie, actually. Not long enough for TV series. Okay, but assuming that assuming that we keep writing this story, even though everybody's dead, <laughs> uh, then would you want it a TV series? What do you what do you like better? You know, to be quite honest with you, I, I I've always liked a trilogy, you know, rather than a TV series. I, you know, Lord of the Rings thought that was really good. I, I think TV series nowadays go on a little bit too long. I kind of like to have an end, you know, a beginning and end, you know, pretty easy. I ask because I'm I'm really excited that one of my favorite comic books, Invincible, is a TV series now. Oh, I saw that, and it's like the first time that a comic that had adult themes mm-hmm. and was for adults. It's wildly violent yeah is being made as an hour-long drama and being treated like a full tv season really yeah and i love it they're doing it they're doing it complete justice what's it on it's on uh amazon prime okay yeah and they've got you know they've got the guys that made it they have creative control or if not creative control they are at least heavily involved in the show yeah and the show is just like the comic and the comic was rad and the show is rad yeah and so I was thinking about like how people decide to change mediums for their stories mm-hmm. and how you choose. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, is my is my book or my comic series better suited as a bunch of hour long episodes that let me tell a larger story or yeah, as a trilogy like the, you know, three, four hour movies like the Lord of the Rings were. Mm-hmm. You're a you're a you're a big big blockbuster movie man well yeah i would say that but i guess outside of you know the avengers and you know the x-men series of films comic books feel like just in in terms of how they're you know set up feel better for tv i would say so if we were doing a comic then okay maybe that's a little bit different story but i think um i personally like the big blockbusters that kind of you know begin and end and i can kind of be happy with that cool so for me, Invincible was probably not at the top of my list, but it was somewhere on the list of great stories that deserved to be put on either TV or made as a film. Yeah. What are your stories that you wish would be done justice in the visual medium? Oh, wow. Jeez. Okay. That's really... I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball because I'm I'm trying to think through all the comics and the, the stories that I've read over time and... I'm going to go with a video game series that I think has not done well in terms of making movies that I would like to see in a in a series or as a uh, t- television series. And I would I would say I'd love to see the Resident Evil universe actually treated like it should be. Okay, so you're picking film. one that they've already made like 14 movies. They made of, like and you're saying movies. like no, but they need to make better movies. They need of to it. make movies that actually I mean, because that's the thing like kind of like what you're talking about with Invincible like it's doing it justice, correct? Yeah. And that's a good thing. And you have to honor the fans. The Resident Evil movies were like, you know, I've played 30 minutes of the game and I'm just going to throw everything that I can from the first three games into a single movie and make everybody a superhuman and take all the horror elements out of it. I can't play those games. 
they give me too much of a spook. I don't. Well, I don't like being. I don't like being spooked. Well, you wouldn't like the games, but you would like the movies because the movies might as well be the Avengers, but with zombies. I mean, it's really, really okay. ridiculous. So, and, and, and the director, um, he's married to Mia Jovovich, and she's in all the movies, and she's a cool character, but. She doesn't belong in Resident Evil. She's too powerful. Resident Evil is all about, you know, being scared and on your own and having a scarcity of resources. And she just kicks zombies heads off quite easily. So uh, it's one of those things. Okay. If I was going to choose something that was made properly, I would want them to make the Earthsea books Mm -hmm. into a TV series where each book got 10 episodes. Yeah. I feel like if you really want to do a book right, you need 10 hours to like cover it and that's i mean maybe maybe the earthsea books would necessarily need it because the first earthsea book is like 200 pages Mm -hmm. but she gets a lot done in 200 pages yeah like you could still do a 10-hour tv series on those 200 pages and that's ursula Le Guin, yeah 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 and the other one the other one that i would want to see is saga have you ever read that comic book i actually have yeah aubrey went and got me some i was sick a couple years back and she got me a bunch of graphic novels and she got me a saga graphic novel, which I actually haven't jumped into yet, to be quite honest, because I was actually legitimately sick and not time to read comic books sick, you know? Um, so I need to look at that. But you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're in for a treat. That's like the best comic series of the best really? 10 years, in my opinion. It's been it's been on hiatus for the last couple, and I'm just like dying for them to start up again. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Oh, that's awesome. This seems like a time when more and more stories nobody's nobody's able to come up with their own ideas no, anymore that, i think that ended five years ago i believe yeah like every every piece of good television or movie is is existing ip mm-hmm. and there are pros and cons to that but there's good stuff coming up where like i'm excited that netflix picked up the three body problem which mm-hmm. we talked about in the first episode of the podcast mm-hmm. it's spans all of time and 3,000 pages of literature, and it's the best sci-fi that I've ever read. Mm-hmm. So if they can do that justice, then that's going to be the best sci-fi TV show that's ever been made. The only problem is that Netflix picked it up, and they're intending to make it an English-language TV series, and that whole thing takes place with Chinese characters. Yeah. Speaking Chinese or a combination of Chinese and English. So if that whole thing's in English, I'm going to be pretty pissed off. They will have screwed it up immediately. I, you know, Netflix has an interesting track record with that. I mean, you know, look at Lock and Key, for example. Like, that was... that They, they took a pretty cool, pretty spooky, pretty, you know oddball graphic novel and they turned it into kind of a teeny bop feeling show so i mean that's the kind of thing like netflix has done a lot for bringing some really good uh, material to the eyes of people that wouldn't normally look at it but it's hit or miss they've got like a 50 percent success rate i think so i mean again like you take something like that and you have to adapt it to a western audience for example who probably are going to be like, oh, I don't want a bunch of characters from a different country. I want a bunch of Americans. And that's where it gets a little bit troublesome. So um, yeah, I, I see your point on that. It, it, that's difficult. That's really difficult. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if they screw it up or not. The other one that I'm really curious about is the Amazon picking up the Lord of the Rings prequel stuff. Oh, really? Where yeah, they're doing a whole they're doing a whole series based on like I guess the Cimmerillion and like the time hundreds or thousands of years before the trilogy takes place. Except for Tolkien's estate told them that they can't put anything in their series that was already in the movies. Like so, like no information that was covered in the existing movies gets to be in the new TV show. Yeah. Which like I can't. I don't even know how they're going to work around that. I w- I'm surprised to hear that because I thought the Tolkien estate basically said after was it the the recent Hobbit movies that they don't want anything to do with any other of his material being adapted into any other medium. So, well, they're they're being real sticklers about this one with yeah. Amazon. They're 
they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna get that money from Amazon, but they're gonna make it hard for Amazon to do a good job. So, for so sure. Are you more excited to see something go to Amazon or Netflix? Because to me, I saw the boys. So Amazon did the boys, which I thought was a really good graphic novel, and the show was really good. I mean, again, very violent, very gory, but stuck to the you know the the, the material well. The boys rules. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite recent shows. They they did a great job with that. Yeah. They are doing a great job with Invincible. Yeah. So their track record is pretty good yeah. on taking adult comic books or, you know, adult themed IPs and giving them the attention that they deserve yeah. and not dumbing them down. Netflix has done sort of a good job with that. Mm-hmm. The second season of Umbrella Academy was really good. The first season was okay, too. I yeah. really liked those comic books. Mm-hmm. And th- those shows were totally entertaining. They're also making Jupiter's Legacy, which comes out oh, pretty soon. Yeah. And like from the trailer, it seems like they got the tone all wrong. Yeah. But I mean, who knows? It might be good. Okay. I would, but yeah, at this point, like I would say Amazon's track record is almost better. Like yep. the fact that they are actively letting the creators of the of the original material have a big say in how the things turn out Mm -hmm. that's that's super important i can't believe it's taken this long where so many great comics and books get left up to people who are just trying to make money and not trying to make the product good yeah it seems like such a bad business strategy so speaking of bad business strategies uh we killed our protagonist (laughs) in chapter four we killed the third major character in three consecutive chapters not a great business decision if we're trying to sell our story are we are we is this a business now because <laughs> like i think we put ourselves in a uh, truly into a pickle i think i don't think we would have left our story to the fate index if we really wanted to do anything financially um solvent with it okay well let's uh let's give our listeners a recap of what happened in chapter four Okay, so chapter four begins where chapter one left off. The Crimson Woman is in the underground chamber where she's found the orb. She's just had this interaction with the being of pure light. She has seen this prophetic vision of her fate and the fate of the world, essentially. And she is shaken to the core. She feels fear for the first time in a very, very long time. And she begins to doubt herself. Because the chamber is pitch black, she needs to take a little bit of time to find her way back to the surface, but she's able to once she refocuses her mind, and when she gets to the surface, she realizes that the clouds have moved away, and the light is shining through. When she gets to the top of the the shelf of the ocean and starts moving towards Koa, she looks off in the distance, and she sees that the storm has actually not moved away, but in fact is converging off in the distance above an area that most likely is Koa. She moves as quickly as she can, using her force fields to propel her forward, but still having this lingering doubt in her own abilities, until she comes to a point where the clouds are still overhead and the rain is kind of pittering off of her force field. She instinctively reaches up and a raindrop hits her on the hand actually comes in contact with her skin, and she realizes that one aspect of the vision that she saw is coming true. Her powers are not functioning like they should. She eventually comes to a large sand dune, and it's at this moment that the force fields underneath her feet give out. She crashes through the ground into a metallic chamber of some sort. She looks around and realizes that this is actually an airship from the Central Isles, And upon further inspection, she realizes that this airship was actually transporting Isoropia soldiers somewhere. 
She walks back into the back of the ship and she sees all of these pieces of what looks like petrified wood of a bunch of different colors. And then she comes to the conclusion that this is not wood. This is, in fact, pieces of people that have been affected by some sort of magic or weapon. The spooks are a little bit. She grabs some gear on the way out because she's feeling defenseless and she makes her way towards Koa. So she's moving along, again, force fields functioning like they should, and she sees this glimmering barrier off in the distance around where Koa should be. She moves through it, and actually the barrier is composed of water that's slowly moving upwards as opposed to falling to the ground. She keeps moving in through the barrier and finally comes out on the other side, and she sees Koa in the distance. It's absolutely devastated. The docks are all torn to pieces. There are these great big holes emitting purple light and smoke all over the place. It's an absolute catastrophe. She eventually makes her way onto the island, and she sees that the Aquine hovels just outside the Coen village have been decimated. She sees an Aquine temple that has a collapsed roof. The majority of the Aquine actually were caught underneath that when it collapsed. She notices someone watching her and realizes that there's an Aquine boy off in the distance. She chases after him and confronts him. He actually accuses her of causing the decimation on the island. She's confused by this. She asks him if the storm has done it. He said, no, more of your kind have done this. She's confused. He walks away. And as he walks away, he slows down and becomes petrified. This shakes the crimson woman and she feels all manner of emotion within her. At this point, she loses control of her powers, and she actually causes an explosion of sorts with her force fields. And immediately, this takes her to her knees. She feels exhausted. Again, she says she must gain control of herself. She walks in the village, looks around, and there's devastation all throughout the streets. Petrified people all over. The doors from all the homes have been pulled off. She moves further into the village, and she finds another one of these great purple holes in the middle of the town where the town square should be, and she sees bits of the island flowing up into the sky, and at the edge of this hole is this strange crimson person with long white hair. She walks forward, and the person turns around, and she realizes that it's not a person at all, but some sort of creature that's wearing crimson skin as a bit of a disguise. It walks towards her in a really strange way, kind of like a marionette. She puts up her hand and tells it to stop, and it puts a finger onto the palm of her hand, and she sees that her hand begins to petrify. She immediately activates the force fields on her hand and pulls the creature's arm off. They get into a big battle. The creature injures her with shrapnel from some of the petrified bodies, and this causes her to lose control, and she activates her shields, and she beats the absolute tar out of the creature until there's nothing left of it. But during the battle, she hits it in the head and her hand shatters where the petrification had begun. She moves away and realizes that if she doesn't do something quick, her entire body is going to petrify. So she has to sever her own arm with her force field. So she hobbles off trying to find a place to heal and she's confronted by the chieftain of the village with some of his men and this strange man who's wearing isoropia armor. The chieftain accuses her the same way that the boy accused her of causing the chaos in the village. And before she can plead her case, she is hit by spears from the Cohen men and falls to the ground, mortally injured. The strange man in the Isoropia armor walks up to her, apologizes for them having to meet in this way, and immediately shoots her in the chest. 
the chapter ends with her staring up into the sky and then slowly fading into blackness. So, we have killed our protagonist. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the rolls. Yep. You rolled another critical fail. I rolled another critical fail. It yes. was this one was different than the other ones in that it was the protagonist of the other writer that had to be killed. Yeah, it was vindictive. Very vindictive. We actually put that in as a joke, didn't we? When we when we again, we've talked about this in the first podcast, I believe that at first this was supposed to be like battle stories where we were kind of somewhat actively compete competing to like eliminate the other characters, you know, plot line and it actually worked out really poorly in this particular situation. <laughs> and then what was the other role we had? I rolled a critical success. I rolled a nat 20, which was a cool role because it was it was one that changes the story significantly on its own, which is the protagonist becomes infamous. Mm-hmm. So it nicely played into what you had to do to basically have the Coens execute the Crimson Woman because they think that she's at the heart of all of the problems that are happening on the island. Mm-hmm. So in a way, the, the roles did uh, complement each other, but... We didn't get very long for her to be infamous before she was summarily executed by the Coens and an unknown Isoropia officer. Yeah, and, and, and I actually played the infamous thing twice, okay? So I kind of used the infamous thing when I first started the chapter as an intro to kind of her backstory, but again, uh, being purposely vague where I talked about her actually being on all these adventures and tending to be the only survivor and kind of becoming a pariah or like an omen of bad luck as a result of that and so that's where i thought i was going to take care of the infamous side of it but again the challenge was how do you create the force needed to like kill off the crimson woman in a way that people sort of understand so i figured okay why would i would i would double up on the infamy and make it so that the coens were confused or tricked into seeing her as the antagonist of that particular situation so in my chapter before this i had to create a character who fell in love and then died and i made calyx likable and then incinerated him you made the crimson woman just afraid for the first time yeah and untold centuries and then executed her yeah do you feel like you did her dirty a little bit or do you feel like you did her justice so this was a very difficult thing and i I could not think of I had I had basically had two options for how I was going to be able to kill her off. Okay, I had a very direct option which is what essentially killed off the creature or, you know, um contained the creature in chapter 2 was the Abtimag bomb, which is kind of the means of a normal individual for containing the magic of something else. I was torn on whether or not the Crimson Woman actually was magical like that creature was magical, and so I decided to take it from a different direction that her powers were more about a connection to her mental strength and something happened in that chamber that really shook her. Okay. You know, seeing your own death, I don't care how tough you are is going to make you kind of make you a little bit more open to uh, damage or destruction than you normally would be. So I wanted to kind of play with that a little bit to really shake her to the core and have that be kind of the functional means of her powers starting to malfunction because 
as far as we were concerned, everything was perfectly fine with her. Nothing was really wrong with her, but she just had this this interaction that kind of made what could be an involuntary response. And I kind of talked about that in the chapter, something that she actually had to control. And that's really kind of difficult. I mean, imagine if you had to breathe and you had to think about breathing or you had to think about your blood flowing through your body. And that's kind of the imagery I would have to get off of it. But I, I did have to kind of do her dirty a little bit because you know, even though I tried to do it with as much respect as possible, she's an invincible thing. Okay. Uh, I haven't asked you this before. Have you read the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin? I have not. Okay. Congrats. You came up with several very good ideas that won three consecutive Hugo Awards. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. That, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just for anybody who is listening, who is like, these guys are ripping off Broken Earth. Ethan hasn't read that book. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I actually edited uh, several things out of there that were a little closer in their original inception, where I was like, wow, Ethan's really coming up with some stuff that was in a in a very, very good book series. Oh, geez. So, yeah, the uh, you... you you originally had more talk of like people breaking into like crystalline stuff like the, the when the crimson woman shattered her arm there was like a crystalline stump left behind yeah and there's a there is a lot in the broken earth trilogy about people getting turned into crystals and shattered apart oh really yeah oh, it's wow. like a it's like a major through theme in that book <laughs> so yeah we're, we're we're not ripping off miss jemison you heard the honesty in ethan's voice yeah <laughs> when he answered the question I just i just figured we would we would cover that so you've written two chapters so far, mm-hmm. and so far each chapter has had a monster fight in it. Yep. And I knew this was coming because <laughs> I know that you love horror and you love monsters, and that if I was pairing with a, a horror writer, there were going to be some monsters and some monster fights in our book. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think I would do in my chapters where you're like, oh, Jeff did this again? That, that it would surprise you not at all the same way that you putting two monster fights in the book did for me? <laughs> Um, oh, that's a really good question. Boy, I don't know, because your two chapters are really quite varied. You, the characters in your chapters tend to find really super cool magical things, such as an orb or like the um, snowshoes from chapter three. And you really describe these things well, and you really build off of, you know, characters finding a magical thing. So yeah, I guess I would expect, you know, in chapter five, somebody's going to find something magical and use it in some way, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's very, that's very much, I think, based on how much I love like RPG video games that are all about just like (laughs) you, you fight a monster and then you get a really sweet shirt that does a special thing, you know, <laughs> that keeps you from pitting out or whatever, whatever happens in the, in the RPG game. I kind of expect you to say like, you know, things like, you know, uh, you know, snowshoes plus five of intellect. Cause I, that's what I see when I, I see those things in stories. Cause I too love playing RPGs as well. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, I get, I get some magical objects are, are definitely a big one, but I guess just to say something on the monster fights, that kind of goes back to another thing. Like I, I couldn't really imagine the crimson woman tussling with humans in a way that that would be her like final end though even though in this chapter they kind of finished her off like i I needed to add something in there that really kind of conveyed this sense of otherworldly power that she'd not contended with before just like this i guess i did the same thing with morwell though so maybe i'm not very original is you take these unstoppable things and you know humans can't take them out but monsters sure can or at least they can add to it so yeah i'm gonna try to avoid monsters in chapter six if at all possible (laughs) (laughs) we've talked about the tome of contingents that you keep 
where you have all of these other things that you would have done in the story if you didn't have to deal with the fate index yep. killing all of our characters yep. every chapter. What would you have done if the story hadn't made you kill the protagonist in a second straight chapter? Oh, boy. So we talked about needing to get the Crimson Woman back in, and I thought it made sense. So, I mean, definitely she would have been featured... I really wanted to start a journey towards the outer rings that we've, or the outer aisles that we've talked about in a couple chapters, which is this kind of area of this world that's really mysterious and no one really goes there. So I, I kind of was thinking that, okay, that's what we needed to do because there would be some sort of answers that could be found there. Um, even though the Crimson Woman is not, you know, magical in the sense she's, you know, researching incantations and spells and stuff she is someone that's kind of pursuing knowledge. And so I kind of thought, well, the only place that you could really discover knowledge about some unfathomable thing is to go to the Outer Rings. So I kind of wanted to do that. I kind of wanted to go on a little bit of a journey because we'd stayed relatively static with our locations um, up to this point. And I really like to do descriptions of places and, 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 and creatures and monsters and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I was looking forward to that. So I think that would I think the Crimson Woman would have made her way towards um, that area, and I probably would have done a little bit more world building at that point. Sure, we're done with death rolls, right? Oh, uh, are we though? I think we are. I mean, well, there's no more on the list. Yeah, we only had two on the whole list to start. Yeah, a one and a two. And then we replenished one, and then it immediately got rolled again. Yeah. We didn't think that another critical fail was going to happen no. immediately after. So if we don't add any more death rolls, is the fate index's bloodlust sated, or is it going to find new ways to ruin our story? I mean, you know, the problem is, is that the fate index has now been opened up to, you know, people on the internet to add their say into this kind of stuff. And so we've kind of... So it's going to get kinky? It, it, well, maybe it gets sexy. Yeah, maybe it's... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe not. It's bloodlust. Maybe, you know, it needed a little bit different of an outlet that we didn't give it. So your chapter is done. It's time for you to go to the corner. It's the corner of self-doubt. It's the corner of self-doubt. In your chapter, Ethan, was there anything in the writing or performing that made you self-conscious or feel doubt? Yeah. So again, kind of going back to what we were speaking about earlier is what is the silver bullet for the Crimson Woman? You know, we kind of talked earlier about, you know, did we do or did I do the Crimson Woman justice and her kind of death scene? Like, how does a character die? Just killing a character without any sort of buildup or killing a character in kind of a very disgusting or destructive way definitely takes the wind out of your sails in terms of like the way you look about that character, you know, going forward. Um, I just remember the, the, the scene in game of Thrones. I always reference game of Thrones. I'm not like a game of Thrones fan by, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, when the mountain and the Viper, I believe fought and the Viper just gets his head crushed. And there was just something about that, moment that really like shook me to the core because you don't want to see your characters go out like that my friend jonathan i watched it with him we watched it together when it was you know like just coming out yeah he let out the most high-pitched squeal i have ever heard from a human being yeah when he saw the vipers head explode yeah it was amazing it was so visceral oh it was and and if it would have been just any other character probably wouldn't have been a big deal but they really built that character up so I knew I couldn't do that with Crimson Woman. You know, I couldn't wait till the end of the chapter and just have her explode. And I really 
I think one of the, 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 the formative, let's say battles where like a hero gets killed is when Superman and doomsday fought. And this was a battle. He didn't just get the crap kicked out of him. He eventually did, but this was a huge battle. And so I wanted to build that up is the crimson woman went out with a fight, a major fight. And the reason that she ended up eventually dying was because she got caught off guard uh, because of people that she, I guess, to some degree didn't really fear. But I really worried about that because this was also a character that, you know, Jeff, you had built a foundation on. And so we knew we had to do it because that's what the pain index told us, but to do it right. And to do it in a way that, that, that was at least somewhat enticing, um, was really difficult. And, and honestly, I was like, I sent you the draft and was kind of like, you know, waiting and just like, Oh God, Oh God, he's not, he's, he's really having to like deal with this. Like he's really like going through the, the different stages of, of, of loss and, and realistic. well, yes, yes. And no. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be real with people. There are different ways that death is handled in fantasy. And I still have it very much like when your natural response when I took the ocean away was like, boy, I can't wait till I get a role where I can bring the ocean back. (laughs) The Crimson Woman is dead, but death is not always permanent, especially not in fantasy. Like if if we're going to we were talking about Lord of the Rings earlier two characters die in the first movie, Mm -hmm. Boromir and Gandalf. Were they the same death? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Gandalf the Grey died, but he comes back as Gandalf the White. So expect me to bring back La Femme Magenta <laughs> to replace the Crimson Woman. That is going to happen. Uh, you know, we'll see what the roles, what happens with the roles. But uh, I'm not, yeah, we're, I'm not, I'm not putting her, I'm not putting her in the ground quite yet. We'll say, we'll say that. <laughs> Listen to that Twitter. Let's bring back that character. <laughs> So moving forward, the roles that we are adding to the Fate Index are not death-centric. No. And, you know, people, our, our listeners are submitting them. Thank you, listeners, who yep. are submitting. And we get to choose. And so we're not going to choose we're anymore choose where people die because we're tired of killing our characters. Yeah, we're, it's not an easy thing to do. No. So replacing the critical fail, replacing a one, is antagonist gains immense power. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Spazio Mazio on Twitter. Uh, I thought that this was a good one for a critical fail because you basically just make the bad guy strong. Yeah. It's still one where it's bad for the protagonists of the story, but it forces us. She pointed out that all of our roles pertain to what happens to protagonists yep. and nothing pertains to antagonists. Do we do we even have one yet? Do you we have one in mind? We haven't. Well, Danvers, clearly. <laughs> Danvers is the only antagonist in this story. Yeah, I mean, we, we have not specified that there is a anything in particular behind all of the bad stuff that is happening yeah. on this world. It could be just like a big misunderstanding at the end. It could just be a big <laughs> misunderstanding. But that will change if we roll another critical fail and we have to introduce an antagonist and give them immense power. Yeah. The other one, replacing a natural 20, is Ancient Deity Decides to Walk the Mortal Realms. Yes. Which was from my DM, Joe That Guy, on my Dungeons & Dragons Slack channel. Joe gave me like 40 awesome submissions. Yeah. I mean, he's a DM. He's full of good ideas. Yeah. And I yeah. I would use lots of them, but I want to give other people a chance to in this one. <laughs> this one was my favorite, and I was the one that I thought like could work really cool in the story. It could take the story a really cool direction. Yeah, exactly. Because we've been kind of hinting at deities and 
religion and that kind of thing, you know, subtly within the story, but we've not really kind of hit that head on quite yet. Just a little bit of, you know, a, a cryptograph here or, you know, a, a saying there. And yeah, it'd be good to kind of explore that. Thanks to everybody who has been tweeting at us, uh, been interacting with us on Instagram. Uh, special thanks. We've got our first little Twitter friend. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, we got somebody named uh, Turd Curdler, who is now the only active person on our Twitter. Uh, he follows us in two hospitals. And uh, we see you, Turd Curdler. We appreciate you. We're watching you. We see you. I'm, I'm definitely watching. <laughs> Everybody who is listening to and likes the show, please give us a review on your podcast listening service of your choice. You know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you listen on. It helps us a lot. It helps let people know that other humans like the show, and maybe they will like it too. And most specifically, for a young podcast like ours, the number one way that new people listen is by word of mouth. So if you have a friend that likes stories or likes fantasy and likes podcasts, tell them about it. Mm-hmm. Tell, them, tell them to give us a listen. It's, uh, it's free. It's not that much of a time commitment. Nope. And uh, yeah, we're having fun making it. We hope people are having fun listening to it. So thanks, everybody, for the support. And my chapter five is coming up next. We hope you like it. Bye. Bye.